Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 250 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It's Friday the 13th of November, which is not as spooky as if it was Friday the 13th of October, but it's still Friday the 13th. Nothing particularly spooky around here unless you guys tell me there is otherwise. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you as I usually do these days, at least from Boston. I am joined as always by my partners in crime way down in Atlanta is Jason Evans. Jason, good evening. Hey there. So I had a really interesting day. It is Friday the 13th of November, but um, it is gorgeous weather here. I went out for a walk. Uh, you know, we, we're recording this a little later than we planned because I asked you guys to delay things so I could take a nice walk with my wife and my dog. Uh, I can't believe this November and I'm taking a walk like this outside, but it's beautiful. Great weather. And Donald Wine is in Washington, D.C. What's up, Donald? Did you go for a walk today? I actually did. I went for a walk this morning. I had to go down and uh, uh, get a COVID test. Uh, not that anything's bad. I, I do it routinely because I'm safe like that. And, and then afterwards, I decided to take a long walk down to the Lincoln Memorial, walked all the way down along the Potomac uh, and past the Kennedy Center and all that. So it was a very scenic walk for me today. Uh, I usually try to take a long walk uh, every couple of days just to get the heart pumping. But it was nice today. I, I agree with Jason. I normally go for a, a walk. I have not left the apartment yet today. It's like five o'clock on Friday. And normally I go for a walk in the morning, but I failed to do so today. And here we are. I feel I feel like a vegetable or something. So maybe I have to, it's already dark out here. So I, I don't know if I'm going to get out at all today, which is very depressing. I, I don't blame you uh, because when it comes to me, I have to schedule my walks. I have to like the last three days have been just wall to wall things for me. So I literally had to schedule where I told people, do not talk to me for the next hour. I'm taking a walk like so I have to schedule these little breaks uh, for me to kind of relax. Well, speaking of schedules, Donald, that right there is a segue. We have a couple things to talk about on this show, the most important of which is that Duke announced their full schedule this week. So we had the non-conference schedule before. Now we have the ACC schedule, which is out. So we will get to that in a second. We'll also get to play a little bit of audio of Nate James, assistant coach Nate James, and one of Duke's presumably star players this year, Wendell Moore, who were both available to the media this week. Jason Evans was on hand for that virtually to chat with them. We, we, got, we got some very interesting information from those guys, so we'll, we'll do some of that. But before we get to the player and the coach audio, we have to talk about the schedule because that is the big news. Normally, the schedule comes out way back in August, maybe in September. I think it's been in recent years. This year, it didn't come out until November because... That's just how things work in 2020. But the ACC schedule is out. Duke is playing a full schedule as it looks basically like a like a schedule normally would. It starts in December, which is now what happens because there are so many games they have to get in. So they'll play one game against Notre Dame in mid-December that comes basically right on the heels of the non-conference schedule. Then Duke goes on their traditional Christmas break. And when they come back from Christmas, instead of playing the Patsies they normally get, they've got... Pittsburgh, and then a game at Florida State. That'll probably be the first real highlight game of the season. Florida State is always pretty good. So that that is not Duke's first road game. Notre Dame is Duke's first road game. But Florida State is that first really tough road game. We have no idea in the world of coronavirus how hard road games are going to be relative to how hard home games are going to be, what the, the effects are going to be on players and 
travel and all that kind of stuff. The whole, the whole schedule is upended as it is. Going along through the rest of the schedule, it looks a lot like a like an ACC schedule would look. Duke gets the their sort of quote unquote buy week is is relatively early in the schedule. It comes in January where they get where they don't have a a weekend game. They get a, a Wednesday game against Virginia Tech and then a whole week off before a game at Pittsburgh. The first UNC game is on a Saturday this year, which has become kind of the norm in recent years. That used to be on a Wednesday, then it was on a Thursday. Now it's on a Saturday, so they get UNC that first Saturday in February, and then they'll get them again at the end of the season to to wrap up at Carolina on March 6th. That is kind of the schedule in a nutshell. We've talked about the non-conference schedule. I want to talk a little bit about how this schedule is made and what it kind of says about the ACC. I'll go to Jason Evans first. Jason, give me your overall impressions of of the way this schedule looks for Duke. And keep in mind, we'll do another deep dive on the specifics of particular ACC teams and who we think is going to be really good. Let's kind of look at it more as a whole. Give me the give me the big picture take on this ACC construction of the schedule. I'll start with the Duke schedule specifically. I think it's exceptionally easy. Uh, look, we're we're always going to play North Carolina twice, and North Carolina is almost always, not last year, but almost always one of the top teams in the conference. So you know you're going to have two games against one of the top teams in the conference. Just the way things worked out this year, we also have two against Louisville, but the other really good teams in, in the conference, you know, Virginia, we only have them once. Uh, Florida State, we only have them once. I, I think for the most part, this schedule is about as easy as you could design for Duke. And the other nice thing that I noticed about it is I, I sort of I sort of group the games by, you know, the most difficult to, um, you know, to, to the easier games. I, th- I believe that five of Duke's seven most difficult games are the final five games of the season. Um, we have we have a, we have tough games earlier in the year at Florida State and at Louisville. And look, I'm not saying there aren't going to be other difficult games in there. There absolutely will be. This is the ACC. You know, our game against North Carolina is always going to be difficult. But our final five games to me are real are the real tests. Virginia, Syracuse, Syracuse is not as good. Louisville, Georgia Tech, who I think is better than some people realize, and North Carolina. Those five games at the end of the schedule, that's a that's the toughest run we have. There's no question about that. But the thing about that is it comes at the end of the schedule when our young guys will be older. They will be more experienced. They will be, you know, used to the ACC wars at that point. If you put a stretch like that in early January, Duke's going to probably lose three of those games. I, you know, I'll say it right now. But put it at the end of the season, I, I like our chances a lot, lot more. So from the standpoint of Duke itself, I, I think the schedule shapes up pretty nicely for us. Uh, you know, we, we can't figure out what it means to be home versus away in this crazy environment. That's the unknown here. And, and we can get into other stuff about the, the structure of the schedule. And I do want to get into that, Sam. But, but first, you know, wh- Donald, what do you guys think about that? The fact that it, I, I don't know how I don't know how we figure out whether an away game is really that much tougher than a home game with no fans in the stands. The big change from normal years is that this year there won't be fans certainly at Duke games, I don't think there are going to be fans at any ACC games and, or, or if there are, we don't know that yet. And it will be likely very limited. So Donald, how do you think that shapes up affecting Duke, affecting other teams? What's the, what's kind of the vibe going to be like with no fans in the stands? Well, we've talked about it a lot. It means that guys are going to have to create the energy that the fans would usually have, and they can't fully replace that. They're never going to fully replace the crazies. And I'm sure other teams are looking at, a trip to Cameron, they're going, oh, good. We don't have to face the crazies. 
it, it the, the it neutralizes at some point the the home court advantage. But our guys have to be diligent about making sure that home court advantage remains intact uh, with regards to the the shooting lanes, like you know, all these things that they've been working on in Cameron, these scrimmages that they're doing. They want to make sure that they can replicate a game experience in this new world, in this new environment. And I think when it comes to and, – and really when you think about the schedule, Jason, you, you alluded to a lot of the games that we've seen, but one thing that's overarching from this schedule, the, the first thing that stood out to me is we only have some random dates. We don't have solid dates for a lot of these games. We have, you know, at Virginia Tech is on January 12th or 13th. Pittsburgh, home, on December 29th or 30th. There are no times associated with this. We can obviously assume that we'll have some 7 p.m. games, some 9 p.m. games, some on the weekends that are like that noonish thing. But I really think that all of this is just, hey, we know who we're playing. We know about when we're playing them. But all of this is up in the air, and, and you've seen it across the country right now. I mean, half of college football is canceled this weekend. Miami has already canceled their basketball opener because of COVID, and that's scheduled for November 25th. And you have some teams that have even stopped playing or stopped practicing for two weeks because of the number of cases on their team. So the good thing about us is we haven't had to worry about that yet. We've, we've been done a really good job as a team. Now we have to figure out how to replicate the Cameron experience and make it so that when teams come in to play us, even though there's no fans in the stands, they are still terrified that they have to step on the court with the Blue Devils. And I think that's what they've been working on a lot in practice. I think we saw a little bit of that, and we've heard a little bit about the competition. You'll talk uh, when we hear from Nate James uh, later on. We'll hear about that competition, that uh, the separation stuff. How are they going to manufacture that intensity, that energy, that is the question that we're going to see, and it's going to be difficult for them to do. I, I honestly, that is going to be the biggest task they have all season. It's not going to be playing basketball. The schedule flexibility that was built in here is the thing that I have the biggest question about, which is, okay, so they, they have maybe one or two days on either end of a of a game when they could move stuff around. But to me, it looks like there isn't a lot of room to dramatically overhaul in the middle of the season if one or two or three ACC teams all of a sudden have COVID because you now have to kind of backtrack on, all right, well, if, if a player tests positive on a Wednesday, now you got to look maybe at the last week, week plus of games that they played and and who else they played, contact tracing all of those people. That part seems like it's going to be challenging, right? Yeah, and also I don't know if it's going to be like what happened to us in football. Remember, Virginia Tech and Virginia – their game was postponed at the beginning of the season because of COVID. And then they moved our game against Virginia, which would have been this weekend. They moved it to September 26th. So we had to play them a full two months early. So I don't think they'll be able to do that with basketball, especially with so many teams in so many games. It might be easier to push stuff back, but I don't know if they'll be able to just like say, oh, by the way, you're playing at Georgia Tech. That game, instead of being on March 1st, is going to be in January. I don't think they're going to be able to do that. So I actually disagree. I actually think that the schedule was built with COVID in mind. I mean, clearly. And I think the reason you see all these Tuesday, Wednesdays, where they haven't figured out who's playing what day, is that they're going to be... And, and by the way, if you look at the schedule, I don't think there's a single Thursday date on this entire schedule. Like, that basically the ACC is saying, hey, we're not playing on Monday. You know, for the most part, we're not playing on Mondays. There are a few Mondays here and there. We're not playing on Mondays. We're not playing on Thursdays and Fridays. And the reason for that is that 
a lot of these games, if there's a team that, that runs into a problem because of COVID and has to cancel a game or two, they're going to say, okay, let's, let's move a game that was going to be on a Wednesday, move it to a Tuesday, and we'll add a game on Thursday or add a game on Friday. I think they're going to try and do that kind of thing a pretty fair amount as they try to keep this schedule intact. I could be dead wrong, but I, that's what I think is going to happen. You mentioned it, right? Like, I, I think you're right with regards to, like, they have flexibility on, on you know, either side of a window, let's say. But they're giving up one of the biggest time slots in college basketball, which is that Monday evening time slot that they stole from the Big East when they kind of disintegrated uh, a few years ago and we took some of their teams. We took that spot, and the fact that we don't have a lot of those games – and I, I, I say that saying I have not – We've got several. Let, let's be clear. There, 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 are, there, are, there are a number of them on the ACC schedule, but most ACC teams have like one or two Monday dates – yeah. And that was, but that would remember, that was a game where we would, you know, we would look at that schedule and we go, we're going to be on Monday, that Saturday, Monday back, you know, flip is going to be at least three or four times for us because they wanted us on that Monday night time slot up against like Monday night football or whatever, or playoffs or whatever. So I think when it comes to this schedule, my concern is not necessarily that like Wednesday to Thursday or Thursday to Friday, it's January 5th to January 30th or January 5th to, to March 5th. Like, those are the things that I'm worried about, and I don't know how flexible that schedule is on that end. I think that's the big concern, and the question then looking at the end of the season is how willing is the NCAA to punt the basketball tournament into April or May to accommodate it happening? So, like, this year, they canceled the tournament because – Things got out of hand so quickly, and there was just no way to, to start bringing all these teams together. I think a year into it, by the time March comes around 2021, even if the pandemic is st still going on, which as far as we can tell, it will be, I think the NCAA is going to have a lot more options on the table. They're going to cancel more sports because they're just not going to be able to make money running them. The reason we all know, the reason that basketball is still on the table for effectively full schedules they're they're slightly cut down but they're basically full schedules is that they need this revenue to to keep the doors open at, at, at and the lights on at a lot of these institutions and you wonder how flexible they're going to be with moving it and and now is a great i think it's a great time to be talking about it because as we speak the masters is going on in down in georgia not far from jason evans and it is November. Normally, the Masters is played in April, the weekend after the NCAA tournament. So the Masters decided we could pull this off. We could we can do it this way. How flexible will the NCAA be in in making that schedule change? Because I agree with you, Donald. I don't see. I I don't have share Jason's optimism about there being a ton of flexibility in here for them to move things around. Because a game gets canceled, all of a sudden you got to shut down that program. You got to shut down other programs and. And how willing is the ACC and the NCAA to say, all right, well, you missed three weeks worth of games. That might be up to six games. How well is that going, you know, how is that going to translate into tournament seating and, and stuff like that? Well, the only thing I was going to say about it is I, I'm, I'm not optimistic that they're going to get through without having to do, you know, without having some teams shut it down. I mean, look, you know, Sam, you alluded to it earlier. UConn, Seton Hall, Minnesota, New Mexico, and several other teams are currently not practicing because there's so much COVID on their campus. Those are serious. UConn, Seton Hall, Minnesota, those are big time programs in basketball and they are currently not playing. And I think um, Dan Hurley, the UConn head coach said that he thinks their opening game or two is in danger at this point, that they won't, you know, they won't have enough guys to play their opening games. So, 
Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I, I don't want to imply that it's not going to happen. I was just explaining why the ACC put their schedule together the way they did and how I think they hope to deal with this. I'm not sure they're going to be successful with it. And to wrap this up, I think you mentioned that. There's also the fact that the Ivy League announced, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that they're not even playing winter sports at all. So there's no basketball in the Ivy League. For the NCAA tournament, that means there's one additional spot that's going to be open for an at-large team. But really, when it comes to it, there's some leagues who are only playing conference. They're only playing on weekends. And they're doing the thing where they're playing like the Ivy Leagues do, where they play the same team on two consecutive days so they can get as many games as possible. But if they have a cancellation, yeah, they can play during the middle of the week, but they've set up the schedule where they're playing every single weekend from January, uh, the first weekend in January to the first weekend in March, and they won't have wiggle room. So I I wonder if the NCAA and the ACC are ready to have that possibility that they need to push stuff back in order to get a complete season in. And by complete, I mean for some of these leagues to get the minimum 13 games that they need to play to be eligible for the tournament. Yeah, so I've got one last really, really quick thing, and this involves the Duke schedule. I just want to point out probably probably the two games on the schedule that you look at and you go, those are the two worst COVID situations. These are the two games where COVID seems the worst at these schools are the first two of the first three games at Notre Dame and at Florida State. I'm sure you guys will agree that those are two places that, that seem kind of scary from a COVID standpoint right now. I want to point out Duke got a huge break. The Notre Dame game and the Florida State game, students will not be on campus. I was listening to ACC Operation Basketball. Mike Bray was talking. He said he was really looking forward to all the students leaving campus in about a week or so, week or two for Thanksgiving break. They're not coming back until the new year. And he and his team were going to be the only ones essentially on campus. And so he was he was saying that, you know, things were going to be super safe because they're all being very, very careful. Uh, so that game on December 16th at Notre Dame, like Duke and the Notre Dame basketball team will be the only folks on the Notre Dame campus. And I suspect the game on January 2nd at Florida State will be a very similar kind of situation. So our two scariest COVID games may not be that scary after all. Mike Bray saw, saw his students rush the field against uh, after that win against Clemson like we did too. So I know he was like, yeah, get those people off campus immediately. And the thing about them is they have to have exit tests to get out. Otherwise, they can't even leave the school so there's going to be I mean they have some issues when it comes to that they they have to go through that and I'm sure Mike Bray is like get them out of here as fast as possible so we can have this campus to ourselves. between students leaving campuses and the holidays of Thanksgiving and then Christmas coming up you are going to hear a ton about cases spiking in, in all kinds of places because people are going to be moving around a lot I personally my official stance and and you guys can can be with me here move around less during this holiday season, if you can avoid it, because because things are going to get worse probably before they get better. Speaking of things getting better, we are going to take a break. And then after that, we are going to hear a little bit from Nate James about what we are looking forward to this season. And I think he's got some pretty optimistic and and pretty surprising takes on some of the guys on this team. Stick around. Welcome back. We are going to get into some player and coach audio now very quickly. Jason got a chance with a number of other members of the media to catch up with Nate James and Wendell Moore this week. So first, we're going to hear some questions that Jason Evans had for Coach Nate about who the best players on the team are this year, maybe some 
some confirmation about who the starters are going to be and what the rest of the rotation is going to fill out behind them. So take a listen. So we heard from Coach K a couple of weeks ago that one of the things he was looking for from the team is some separation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you've got 11 guys who, who we've heard great things about on these, on these Zoom meetings. Uh, do you have a sense of where that separation is starting to happen and, and who are the guys who you know, look like starters and who are the guys who look like they're probably going to be the main rotation guys? Yeah. Well, it, it, it is tough because it was pretty even, you know, f- for a great portion of, of the preseason, um, what we didn't know. And we started toying around with different ideas of, of how to pro- play, you know, 10 lever guys, you know, pressing and playing more of an up-tempo style, which we always wanted to do. But every, every, all of you know Duke basketball and, you know, our, our rotations and how many guys <laughs> coach actually, you know, would like to play because um, you do want separation. You want to find out who are the best players and, you know, any good coach, you know, you want to play your players, your best players and have them on the floor, but you don't want to lose anyone, you know, because we, we do have some depth. We do have some, some quality young guys. So if we would start a, a, a group today, I think the ones who've, who've shown that they're, you know, a step above right now at this point um, are uh, uh, our returning guys, you know, Wendell, um, Matt Hurt is playing extremely well before he, uh, uh, tweaked his knee in the last uh, 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 scrimmage. And uh, Goldwire, you know, with his, 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 his physical makeup, you know, his defensive ability, you know, his shot has gotten better. So, you know, he, he's shown that, you know, he, he's one of the guys. And, and then um, uh, Jeremy Roach. I mean, he's, he's the dynamic guard that, that we've always had that um, – that really makes our team go. You know, he's big time in the ball screen, can really shoot the three, you know, can get after you on the ball. Um, he's just young and have to we have to learn, you know, to, 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 to run a team, but the talent is there. And then the fifth guy, you know, I, I would throw Jalen Johnson in there right now at this point, you know, because of his, his, his overall talent. You know, I mean, he has tremendous upside. So that unit has looked really good at times. And um, the guys kind of the sixth, seventh men, eighth eighth man. Uh, I would I would throw uh, a, a DJ, a Mark Williams, um, Henry Coleman in there, and those those sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth guys. You know, sometimes they flip flop from day to day, but I think that would be the starting five if we had to go. Uh, so, really quick follow. I noticed you didn't mention Joey Baker. And I was wondering about the shooting on the team. Um, yeah. uh, you know, talk, can you talk about Joey for a second? And, and, and where's the team stand in terms of, you know, outside shooting ability versus, versus some recent Duke teams? Uh, we, we haven't been as good an outside shooting team the past couple of years right. as maybe in the past. Right, right. And uh, I apologize for, for leaving Joey out because he's actually been playing really well because um, he is one of our best shooters. Um, and I think if I would have to, I want to say, rank this team as being, um, I don't know where we would be uh, compared to some other really good shooting teams. But, you know, you all know and watched us. We've had some not so good shooting teams. Outstanding players, uh, whether it be 
uh, interior um, guys or just dynamic wings, slashers, drivers, scores, but just flat out, you know, top to bottom shooting. I, I put this team up there. I mean, Jeremy Roach can really shoot the ball. Matthew Wendell, uh, Goldwire has improved in that area. DJ can flat out shoot the ball. Joey shooting really well. Um, uh, Jamin, you know, in practice, these guys are shooting 40% uh, from the three, you know, with all the, the accumulated threes from, from, I think this is our, what, 20-something practice. So we have a really good shooting team. Um, now we just have to, you know, get the balance because normally when you have one thing, you, you know, get at, you, you know, sometimes you fall off in a little bit of other areas. So we're just trying to figure it for some things out, but we believe we can get after you. Um, that's when the depth comes in. We, you know, we, we will try to use as many guys as possible. And just like when I told him when, when I played, I said, look, you know, I played on some teams, you know, in uh, 98, 99, you know, you, you better be ready when your number's called. <laughs> Or that could be a quick stint out there on the floor and you're back on the bench. And I think that keeps you hungry, keeps you sharp. All right, guys, coming out of that, I think that the most surprising thing to me is that Jordan Coldwire has established himself as a starter, at least here early in the season. I don't know that it's fully surprising because we know how much the coaching staff loves him and, and Nate James is clearly a fan. But what what do you think about, about Nate's laying out of the rotation with Goldwire, Moore, Hurt, Johnson, and Roach as the starters, and then and then a couple of the guys who are coming in behind them. Donald, I'll come to you first. I'm not surprised at all that Jordan Goldwire is part of this, what we assume to be uh, the starting five of himself, Jeremy Roach, Wendell Moore, Jalen Johnson, and Matthew Hurt. I, I think when it comes to it, you want leadership out there, and Jordan provides that. You want defense, he provides that. You want someone who can who knows the offense, who is kind of – and Coach always likes that guy who is an extension of himself on the floor, and I think that Jordan Goldwire is going to be that guy, at least initially, as other as the freshmen kind of come along. And then also when it comes to we, – we've, we've talked a lot about Matthew Hurt, about how he's been probably the best player in practice so far during the preseason. Wendell Moore has shaped himself up very well. Jeremy Roach has kind of uh, – it sounds like has separated himself over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and then Jalen Johnson, who we haven't heard a lot about, but in that last – uh, scrimmage that we got highlight tapes from we saw you know what he can do when he decides he wants to take over so uh, I'm I'm pretty certain that we've kind of narrowed in on those five guys at some point during the preseason so it's not shocking that those are the five that they're going with I do think when it comes to the bench right now I think that's where there isn't separation I know he mentioned DJ Stewart Mark Williams Henry Coleman and, and then later on uh, talked about Joey Baker but I think there's still some uh, point for guys to work themselves up into that mix, even for, you know, a guy like Mark Williams or Henry Coleman, uh, who, you know, all the coaches have been really talking about and really raving on over the preseason for them to get a lot of minutes, especially if we need presence uh, in the post. Uh, I think when it comes to Mark Williams and Henry Coleman, they'll be able to do that along with Matthew Hurd, along with Jalen Johnson, uh, and really just be that supplement out there so we always have a big lineup at, at any point if we want to. Obviously, college basketball, like pro basketball, has changed. And when we tried to put lineups together in our head, a lot of us say, oh, we need that center. We need that big man. Oh, it's Mark Williams. It's Patrick Tepe. It's maybe even Henry Coleman. And the reality is, and you can tell from, from what Nate had to say, the reality is 
the current state of basketball, you don't need to have that post presence as a guy who's who's part of your starting lineup. Um, those guys are going to get time. They're going to play. But I, I think I think what you heard from Nate, the, these are the five best players in the team. And so those are the five starters. And that's the way Coach K has always operated. And that's the way that makes the most sense. To me, the most surprising part of it is Nate talking about Jeremy Roach's three-point shooting. Um, coming out of high school, the book on Jeremy Roach was really strong upper body, gets to the rim very, very well, good distributor, good handle, um, you know, really creative score, but not a great outside shooter. We now have Nate telling us uh, repeatedly that he is a really good three-point shooter. And, and we talked a little bit about this in the scrimmage. They talked about the fact that he hit several threes in that scrimmage, and he didn't miss many shots in that scrimmage. So if he hit threes and he didn't miss a lot of shots, that means he didn't miss a lot of threes. So if Jeremy Roach is suddenly a good three-point shooter, uh, that elevates Duke tremendously because that means that Jeremy Roach is going to be knocking on the door of one of the better point guards in all of college basketball. And the last thing I'll say about it is I'm thrilled that Nate pointed out Duke has not been that good at shooting the three the past you know couple seasons. He said this is a really good shooting team. And, and I think this has a chance to be perhaps Duke's best three-point shooting team since like 2015. And we know what happened that year. Just think about it. Like in the past, we've had some really good teams and we've probably shot what, 37, 38%, maybe even 35% from three. If those teams were shooting 42% from three, like that extra five or six or seven percent, how how Dude, badass wait. would we have been? Let's not get crazy. Like forty percent. If you shoot forty percent from three, you are a really good three point shooting team. Ain't ain't no way we ain't shooting forty two percent. If we shoot forty two percent, get out the scissors now. We're cutting down nets. Well, start investing in scissors. I don't know who. I don't know the company that makes scissors now. But if we're shooting forty two percent, we might be we might be cutting down the nets. I don't care where they put this national championship. If we're looking at that starting lineup and thinking about Jeremy Roach as a three point shooter, that changes a lot of the dynamic there because I think you look at the the starting lineup at least as we think it is today, and there isn't a ton of shooting on it. Matthew Hurt is comfortable taking the ball outside, but he's more of an inside shooter. Even though he even though he likes to take threes, Wendell Moore is not much of an outside shooter. Jordan Goldwire will take the outside shot if it's open, but he's certainly not hunting a shot, especially on this team. And and Jalen Johnson, we we really don't know. We assume that he's more of an inside shooter, but but haven't seen him at game speed in in college yet. So Jeremy Roach having a three-point option out there is going to be huge for Duke and then being able to go to the bench for multiple guys like Joey Baker, like DJ Stewart, is going to be really important for Duke. I did want to move on and play a little bit more. We got Nate James, and we'll, we'll hear from a couple different reporters here asking him questions, but talking about a few different guys on the team and the way their skills have been developing. I think you'll find some of this pretty interesting too. I wanted to ask you about the development of Mark Williams and also uh, Pat Tappe. Obviously, they're on different ends of the spectrum with where they are in their careers, but how are both of them adjusting so far? And, um, you know, how is Pat, I guess, you know, adjusting with his experience? Is that showing up for such a young team otherwise? It, 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 it is, but I tell you, it's, it's slightly a little bit different than you may think, you know, because, you know, Patrick didn't play last year. Yeah. So he set out and also Mark, who went to IMG, but, you know, he had some, some tendonitis issues. So he missed a great deal of the season. So you have two big guys who are new, who are learning and developing, you know, um, unlike a typical uh, transfer 
um, or a grad transfer, you know, player in, in, in Patrick. And, and with Mark, you know, he's just this, this seven-footer who's still trying to figure out, you know, how to use all his tools. And because the level of play at his previous high school, you know, before um, transferring IMG, you know, the, the speed, the, the athleticism, um, just the, the, the physicality of, of each and every practice, you know, those two guys are, are, are learning a lot. Patrick, because he's older, he's just stronger right now. And I think he's, he's really trying to impose his will on, on all the guys that he's kind of going up against. So I really like that about Patrick. You know, both kids, though, I mean, whatever you tell them to do, they, they try to do it to the best of their ability. And with this group, you know, I can kind of go down the list and I'll probably sound like a broken record, but all the players, they love being in the gym. They want to get better and they are extremely easy to coach. Now, I just hope that remains to be true when we actually start playing, uh, you know, against a, a real opponent. But uh, those two big guys have, have brought it every day and I, and I like that. Is, is Pat, would you say, further along because of that layoff, because of the injury? Is he further along on the offensive or defensive end so far? Defensively, I would say for sure. You know, he does a great job in the ball screen. Uh, he, he moves his feet. Um, he doesn't talk a lot, but the one thing you need to do in the ball screen is call it out, and he actually does that a great deal. So I, I foresee him being a guy that, you know, we face an opponent that runs a lot of uh, ball strings in their offense. You know, he, he can really move and blow up, you know, and disrupt a lot of the plays. And he rebounds. So if you can guard the post, guard the ball string, uh, play with a level of physicality, which leads to rebounds, which, he, which is probably our best rebounder, you know, that equates to, you know, being able to help us. And, um, you know, obviously the teams that we play, they have, you know, pretty good big guys. So I think everyone will be called upon and he will be one of those players. Thank you so much. Hey, Nate, good morning. Hope you're staying dry. Um, I'm trying, man. It's raining cats and dogs out there today. It, it, it is here in Raleigh, too. Uh, speaking of guys who didn't play a lot last year, Jalen Johnson had a really unusual season, even by 2020 standards. Is he caught up to all the time he missed? What are you seeing from him? What are you expecting from him this year? Well, again, you know, just like um, um, Mark, you know, he transfers to, to IMG as well. And we were all so excited because we know the level of, of talent, not to just their opponents at IMG, but in their practices. And, you know, they have, you know, 10 players that are going to all go Division One, And unfortunately, you know, with his injury and, and, and not playing there, you know, you have to adjust to, to, to this level of talent. And it took a while to kind of find a stride and, um, how hard you have to work and things just don't come easy. You know, it could be a, a walk-on that you're going against, but that walk-on has been our program, you know, for two or three years and, and is a little bit older and is going to challenge you probably a little bit more than you expected. So I think he's finally trying to under, understand that you have to bring it every day. And now that he's being more consistent and stringing some days together, you know, with his natural talent and ability, you know, he's going to be one of the best, especially in the open floor. He can really get out in transition, big-time athlete. And his passing ability, you know, I haven't seen too many guys, and I've been around, obviously, been here at Duke. He's really a pass-first, you know, player. And I think we're trying to get him to understand, like, look, you know, when teams 
um, play off you, you know, have confidence to shoot your jump shot. And, you know, if you have that, that mismatch, you know, whether it be a four guard or you or five, you know, use your ball handling and playmaking ability, and he started to do that. Let me ask you a quick follow-up, if I may. When you played, you were known as a badass. Does this team have a badass? <laughs> um, I, I think I think we do. You know, I I think Henry. You know, I I, I got my eye on him. I I have uh, my 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 Nate's dog pound bone. So you know, if he does a good job, I, I, I'll pass that along to him to keep tradition alive. But I think we have a few guys. I think Jamin Breakfield. You know, he. he he, he's played at a high level, and, and uh, I look forward to seeing him, you know, get out there and, you know, get a little rough, tough, and um, bump some guys around a little bit. But you might say Jordan. Oh, yeah, well, he's already proven to get after the guy. So that's, that's the pit bull right there. So I'm, I'm more concerned about the younger guys and what they're going to learn. So, guys, we heard a lot there. I, I kind of want to start on this and say that the, the most interesting thing here is the discussion about the centers and, and Mark Williams and Patrick Tepay. They're very different types of players. I think we, we know that neither of them is going to be, you know, the, the kind of lights-out center that, that we have actually seen a couple times in, in recent Duke history, but both bring kind of interesting skill sets to the table. We know that Tepay is experienced. He, he didn't get to play last year, but we know that he's a very experienced big man. He's, he's filled out, you know, he's a 22, 23 year old guy. He's not an 18 year old, like some of these people uh, who, who he's going to be playing against. And, and we know that, that Mark Williams is, also uh, very dynamic, still probably growing into growing into his body and kind of figuring out all the things that he can do. But he has a ton of natural ability, and and that's the the position where I think things could go in a lot of different ways for Duke this year, depending on how each of them or both of them develop. Jason, what did you take away from those comments from Nate James? I can't help every time we talk to one of the coaches or one of the players. You hear amazing things about Henry Coleman. I can't help but talk about Henry Coleman. And, and I wish the folks out, out there could see me right now. I've got a smile on my face. Just thinking about Henry Coleman uh, gives me a smile. And I, I don't know that we've had a guy like this where clearly the lowest rated guy in the class, in, term, in the recruiting class, in terms of expectations, most people would have there – was, there was plenty of talk that he was going to redshirt or something like that this season – for him to be impressing people the way he is for, for, you know, earlier we heard Nate talking about that. He's one of the guys in, in that top eight rotation. Um, you heard Steve Wiseman ask the question about Henry Coleman and Nate talked about his energy, called him an energizer bunny, um, that he's the kind of guy that coaches look forward to coaching. He's always competing. Henry Coleman, Henry Coleman, Henry Coleman. I mean, like guys can't get enough of him. And it's clear that the energy he brings is important for the rest of the team. And we talked earlier on this podcast no fans in the stands. How does the team generate energy on their own without the fans to lift them? I think it's clear that the answer to that is Henry Coleman. And that's why I think even though he's not the most talented guy in the team, he's not the most physically gifted guy in the team, Nate Coleman is going to play for this team because he is going to bring a special kind of energy and enthusiasm that inspires his teammates. And this year, more than any other year, that will be essential to Duke's success. Yeah, and I think when it comes to the three centers, you know, Coleman... Williams and Tepe all bring different things to the table. I think initially I wouldn't be surprised. And this is why when I said in, in the last 
bit of audio that Nate James that we had from Nate James that I mentioned that those guys are kind of in a group that you know there's still some separation to be made. I I will not be surprised if initially you see uh, one night where Tepe gets more minutes than Williams, the next night Williams gets more minutes than Coleman, Coleman gets more minutes than Tepe. These guys. When we face different teams, we face different lineups, they're going to require different things. And I think when that happens, you'll see all of them play initially, but there's going to be a point where they're going to say, hey, we need a, you know, a more traditional center. We need a guy who can, uh, who knows passing lanes and stuff like that to pay. That's, that's your time. We need some energy. Coleman, get out there. Mark Williams, we need some guy to just yam it on somebody. Just go, go do it. So, that that competition is going to be great all season because I think when it comes to the, the ACC, every night we're going to face something different, and when we see that, we're going to see uh, it is going to be great because especially for these teams that we play twice, like Louisville, for example, one one night we might throw up them Pat Patrick to pay, and then the next time they're like, oh, they put to pay on us all the time. We know how to get around him. Bam, they hit him with Mark Williams or Henry Coleman, and teams can't function. Yeah, let me tell you, we're going to need big men against UNC. You don't want to focus on any one opponent too much. Carolina is nothing but Carolina, I think, has four guys over 6'10", 6'9", 6'10", or more who are all going to play in the NBA someday. Um, we are going to need now they can't all play at the same time, but we're going to need Patrick Tepay and Mark Williams in in a big way in those games. Patrick Tepay, especially, I think um, Nate's comments about Tepay being such a good pick and roll defender, being probably the best rebounder on the team. Um, God, I don't know how we find time for all these guys, but clearly that guy's going to have a role. Yeah, rotations are going to be very interesting this year, as we have said for months and months now. And all of this preseason rhetoric is just reinforcing all of that. You guys talked uh, a fair bit about Henry Coleman, and we're going to wrap today with some very fun audio that Jason got of Wendell Moore in uh, another media availability this week talking about Henry Coleman. Here's Jason Evans. So let's turn to the newcomers really quick. Who's impressed you the most? Who's the guy that, um, you know, is sort of, uh, doing jaw-dropping stuff in practice so far? Um, I'll probably say the, the guys I appreciate the most are um, – I'll probably say the biggest one for me is Henry uh, because I've never seen Henry play. Um, the other five, I, I, I've gotten a chance to see, like on the EYBL circuit, uh, uh, Jeremy I played uh, a USA basketball with. And so I was kind of familiar with him. Jalen, same thing. Um, but I didn't know Henry was as strong and, and as powerful as he is. Um, I mean, you can kind of almost compare him to Zion. He, obviously, he's not like he's not Zion, but he's almost just as powerful, and, and he's right there with it. Jason, to not pump it up too much, how excited are you for comparisons between Henry Coleman and Zion Williamson? This was a Zoom meeting with all the reporters. There are about 25 or so reporters, beat reporters, the folks who follow the team on a day-to-day basis. And when Wendell Moore spoke those words, oh yeah, he reminds me of Zion Williamson. You should have seen everyone's faces. People were like flipping out. I was probably flipping out more than anyone else. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that he just said that. It's, it's such a great piece of sound. Let's be clear. <laughs> there is no way that Henry Coleman is is another Zion Williamson. But just, you know, I think he was just talking about his strength. And Zion is, like, physically imposing. That tells you how strong Henry Coleman is. But just thinking about that is it's just a ton of fun. And it, it's yet another sign that, that his teammates respect Henry Coleman's game and that they know this is a guy who's bringing it. He's bringing the energy. He's bringing physicality. Uh, and... You know, is there any better comparison you can have than 
this guy plays like Zion Williamson. I mean, wow. Wow. I like that. Uh, I just like, I don't, I don't know what it means, but I like it. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't mean that we're going to see that Sam and I are going to be, you know, hugging each other after another 360 uh, during a game that's in doubt. But no, I no do hugging, no hugging this to, year, Donald. <laughs> no hugging, no hugging in sports right now or, or, or in life. You know, six, six feet. We'll do a, we'll do a virtual like hug like that. But when it comes to Henry Coleman, if, if, if you're being compared in any facet of your game design wins, and that, that is you're on the right track. You're doing something very, very good. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this means on the court. But if, if we have a guy that's physically imposing and stuff like that, we are going to need that this year as well because some teams like to bully us. And in the past, we've had some guys that would be like, no, you're not going to bully us. I don't care. You can You can try it with them, but I'm on the court now, and, and that's not happening. So if we have one of these guys that's kind of, I don't want to borrow a hockey term, but kind of the enforcer out there, if, if Henry Coleman can do that at times during the season, no one's going to step to us. We're, we're going to be we're going to be just fine, and, we'll, and that'll give us more avenue to do what we want. And as a reminder, we heard from Nate James earlier. One of the reporters asked him about, hey, Nate, who, who's the badass on the team? And Nate goes, oh, that's Henry Coleman. I mean, like, there's no question about it. He, he, he's the man who's going to do all the little stuff for you and do it in a physical way. So we will leave you with that bit of positivity as you go have uh, sweet dreams about Henry Coleman and the effect he is going to have for the Blue Devils this year and, and hopefully for a few more years to come. That will do it for this episode, though. We will be back very soon again. We have a another fun interview teed up for next week. Not a guy who is currently in the program, somebody who graduated from the program. So so that's your that's your tease for, for next week. The season is coming up soon, so of course we have the stats prediction game coming. We Duke might play a football game again. They're not playing one this weekend, but maybe they'll get to play one next week. Uh, so all of that and more to come. So stick around to the podcast, and we'll be back in your feeds very shortly. Don't forget, if you have a question for us, you can email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns, send us photos of your wedding where you are wrapped in a Duke flag. Anything like that is, is great fodder for us. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts. Five-star ratings can get you read comments on the show, so, so that also helps. And I think that is going to do it for us. So this has been episode 250 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine. I'm Sam Klein. Duke Band, take us home. Two hundred and fifty. Y'all hyped? All right, here we go. <clears throat>